from the tiny chapel on the Greek island of Skopios, the first public appearance of Mrs. Aristotle Onassis, formerly, of course, Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy, widow of the late president. The millionaire ship owner and his bride seemed oblivious of the pouring rain and the persistence of newsmen alike. The world was shocked when Jacqueline Kennedy married Aristotle Onassis on Scorpios, the Greek tycoon's private island in the Ionian Sea. The newspaper headlines were vicious and full of betrayal. The reaction here is anger, shock, and dismay, said the New York Times. Jackie sells out, cried the Los Angeles Times. Jackie, how could you, asked a Stockholm paper. Jackie weds blank check, sneered a Fleet Street tabloid. But worst of all, Il Massagero, an Italian paper, its headline said, JFK dies a second time. It was October 1968, not five years since the assassination of Jackie's first husband, President John F. Kennedy, and barely four months since her brother-in-law, Robert F. Kennedy, was himself gunned down in Los Angeles moments after winning California's Democratic presidential primary. Two Kennedy assassinations in four and a half years, both shocked America and devastated Jackie to the core. The first murder robbed her of her husband. The second drove her into the arms of another. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to Jackie, a podcast about my book that explores Jacqueline Kennedy's life from November 1963 to October 1968, her transition from First Lady to Jackie O. Now, if you stood John F. Kennedy and Aristotle Onassis next to each other, you might have thought, these guys have nothing in common. After all, JFK was tall, sophisticated, and charming. He looked like a movie star, and his quick wit made women swoon. On the other hand, Onassis was short and squat. It was said he had the face of a gangster, and he came off as greedy and abrasive. These descriptions for both men were true, but now consider the similarities. They were both wealthy, hyper-competitive, and power-hungry. They were super-confident, big-time womanizers stopping at nothing to get whatever and whoever they desired. I said before that Kennedy was smooth in public. He certainly was. He was also a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, one of the most eloquent speakers of the 20th century. But in private, Kennedy could also be crude and vulgar. As for Onassis, well, here's something that Jackie biographer Sarah Bradford says. He was hideous physically, but he had enormous magnetic charm. That charm and a true zest for life came through easily with Onassis, and not just in Greek, by the way, but in English, French, and Spanish, sophisticated languages in which Jackie was also fluent. Onassis could skin you alive in a business deal by day, but then at night, talk for hours about art, music, and poetry. So both men, JFK and Onassis, for all their outward differences, actually had a lot in common. And Jackie, always razor sharp, saw all of this. And she was attracted to it. 
Meantime, get this, the Kennedys had known Onassis for years, dating way back to the early 1950s, when they all got together on Onassis's extravagant yacht, it was called the Christina, when it was docked in Monaco. I asked Clint Hill, Jackie's longtime Secret Service agent, about this. For the first time that they met was in the 50s when Kennedy was a senator. She and he were in Monaco, and the... Christina was in Monaco, and Prime Minister Churchill was on board. And a friend of Onassis, Johnny Agnelli, who owned Fiat Corporation from Italy. And he knew the Kennedys, and President Kennedy wanted to meet Churchill. And he arranged through Agnelli to go on board to Christina with Mrs. Kennedy and meet Churchill. That's the first time they met Onassis. We're going to be hearing a lot from Clint Hill throughout this podcast. You'll find him to be a remarkable man. While JFK chatted with Churchill, Onassis gave Jackie a tour of the ship. It was luxury personified. Onassis even had bar stools that were upholstered with, get this, skin from a whale's penis, and he enjoyed telling women that after they sat down. Jackie found this in other things like murals of naked women to be gaudy, but being the diplomat that she was, she said, Mr. Onassis, I have fallen in love with your ship. According to one biographer of Onassis, the Greek tycoon seemed to be attracted right off the bat to Jackie. He told one aide, quote, there's something provocative about that lady. She's got a carnal soul. But after that initial meeting, it was years before they'd see each other again. And for Jackie, it took a deep personal tragedy. More on this in a minute, but first, this message. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to Jackie, a podcast about my book that explores Jacqueline Kennedy's life from November 1963 to October 1968, her transition from First Lady to Jackie O. And we were talking about the first time Jackie actually met Aristotle Onassis in the early 1950s. They wouldn't see each other again until the fall of 1963, years later, and it took a deep tragedy. Though the prayers of millions accompanied him as he was rushed from his Cape Cod birthplace to the Boston Children's Hospital, the newborn son of President and Mrs. Kennedy is dead. The victim of a lung ailment that made it impossible for him to continue breathing. The newsreel did not mention the son's name, but it was Patrick Bouvier Kennedy. He lived just two days. The boy's death sent both President and Mrs. Kennedy into deep mourning. Now, here's where Aristotle Onassis comes in. It's a bit complicated, almost like a soap opera, so bear with me. Jackie's sister Lee was married to a Polish nobleman, Stanislaw Radziwill. Everybody called him Stash for short, but that didn't stop Lee from having a high-profile affair with Onassis. 
After Patrick Bouvier died, Jackie was deeply depressed. Her sister Lee called her and said, a Mediterranean cruise might cheer you up. Come with us on the Christina. Again, that was the name of Onassis's yacht. Now, Jackie had been to Greece in 1961, but President Kennedy made sure she did not cross paths with Onassis, but now he decided it was okay. So off Jackie went and Clint Hill went along. The president had approved her going on board the Christina because she was so depressed about the death of young Patrick. And he was on board the Christina when we were under, as well as were two of his sisters and FDR Jr. and his wife and Prince Rajagul and, and Mrs. Kennedy's sister Lee and a Greek actor and his wife and Princess Serena Galitzine and myself and one other agent and her personal assistant, Providencia Parades. So there was Jackie and her sister Lee, the mistress of Onassis, and the rest of the group. And they had a great time sailing around, eating incredible food, ritzy shopping. The whole thing was off the charts glamorous. But back at the White House, President Kennedy was worried about how all this would look. After all, he was running for re-election in 1964, and Jackie's trip did get some bad press. So when Jackie returned on October the 17th, JFK felt he could get away with asking his wife for a favor. I need some help in Texas next month, he told her. Why did you come along with me? So Jackie opened her red leather appointment book, flipped to the third week of November, and scribbled Texas across the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. When this was announced to the press, it was a huge deal. After all, Jackie almost never went on political trips with her husband. And since the 1960 election, in fact, she had never been west of the Mississippi and she had never been to Texas, period. And that's how Jacqueline Kennedy wound up in Texas, in Dallas, on Elm Street, in the back of X-100, the famous Midnight Blue, 1961 Lincoln Continental, on Friday, November 22nd, 1963. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Now, before we move on, it's worth remembering that Jackie was apprehensive about Dallas. It wasn't exactly JFK's favorite place either, by the way. In fact, and talk about an eerie irony, he actually talked about Dallas a year earlier with John Connolly, who would also be in the car that fatal day. Hello? President Jerry, congratulations. Thank you, sir. By God, I watched that with interest, and I saw you were running ahead of us, so I knew you were in. In this November 7th, 1962 phone call, Connolly had just been elected governor of Texas, and President Kennedy called him to congratulate him. They discussed the election, and the topic soon turned to Dallas. What did, uh, what did, we, uh, what did we lose Dallas by? Do you remember in 60? Yes, sir. You lost over 60,000 uh, 60, votes. 60,000 votes. And I got, uh, you know, they're up there talking to me about, remember that, about having that federal building down there and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. I don't know why we do anything for Dallas. I'm telling you, they just murdered all of us. Yeah, yeah. Dallas just murdered us? I don't know why we do anything for Dallas. That phone call sends a shiver down my spine every time I hear it. Talking about getting murdered in Dallas? Unbelievable. The day the president was murdered, Onassis was in Hamburg, Germany, inspecting a new tanker for his shipping fleet. Lee Radziwell, again, that's 
Jackie's sister and Onassis's mistress, she called Ari and said, please come to Washington. And he did and stayed in the White House that very weekend. As the martyred president's body lay in the East Room, Aristotle Onassis was right upstairs. His proximity to the widow in her darkest hour can be considered foreshadowing, and over the next five years, the Greek tycoon kept such a low profile that he referred to himself as, quote, the invisible man. Jackie herself once called him, quote, a strange man and a rogue, but she also said, quote, he was so understanding, I was fascinated by him from the beginning. In our next episode... It was the sound that Jacqueline Kennedy was desperate to forget, but never could. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out my new book on Jackie between her two marriages. It's called Jackie, her transformation from first lady to Jackie O. And if you're enjoying the show, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help other history fans find the show. Jackie is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. My special thanks to producer Hannah Ray Leach, sound engineer and designer Sean Rule Hoffman, and executive producers Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. Show theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Visit evergreenpodcasts.com to access a transcript and get more info on the show. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.